0: Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks community. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out,
2: no matter how hard it rains. In my city.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 198th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Emhauser, ad hoc blogger on Twitter, and you heard me right, 198. We will have 199 tomorrow night. Special guest tomorrow nights, Jake Heaps, and someone who almost qualifies as a special guest at this time, uh, Evan Hill. He's, you know, he's out and about, but we uh, managed to to nail him down for one, one show this week. We're looking forward to that, but this will be the third straight week in a row that we will have done two podcasts. So you are getting a ton of real Hawk Talk Seahawks (laughs) content. And it's a little odd that we're having all this content after like one of the worst seasons. And I don't know, I will talk, talk with Dana and talk with Jeff. But part of it is because I feel like This is one of those off seasons where there has to be change, like they can't just do what they've been doing. That's my perspective. I think there's things that they can do and there's things that line up with what they need to do. And we're going to talk about some of those options later in today's episode of Real Hot Talk. We'll talk about some free agents, folks that are not currently on the roster or were not currently on the roster this season. Uh, Without further ado, let me bring in my co-host for the evening. Dana O'Gorman, the hardest working woman in podcasting already did a podcast tonight back at it with us at Dana OG on Twitter. Great to see you Dana.
3: Thank you yeah I like that I like coming on this podcast though because I can focus in on Seattle where the other podcast is about the whole week so this one's fun for me. Cool
1: yeah. uh, And Jeff at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter he is he is a guy that will send me a million text messages on one day of division round playoff weekend, and then just be gone for, for, for Sunday. I, I don't even know. Did you watch any of those games on Sunday, Jeff? Um, well, we have a thread, me, you, and a certain member of our podcast
2: crew, and Sean McVeigh and Andy were playing on Sunday. So, I knew that our thread was going to get so unbearable regardless of those results. So I tried to stay away from my phone and some of our other hot talk threads because no one gets talked about more than Sean McVay and Andy Reid. So I thought this could be the most unbearable day possible. And I, from the sounds of my prime, it sounds like been right. i might going to right.
1: I think, I think that was more wise than I gave you credit for I, it is true and Dana, I've been trying to kind of catch Dana up on this a little bit. There is a there is a section of Seahawks Twitter. Some of them actually are members of our crew, um, who I think anything that that potentially discredits Pete Carroll or, or, or adds to that potential conversation is cheered for and is kind of relished. And I think Sean McVay is the in some ways, the anti Pete Carroll for that group, like he's young, he's an offensive coach. And ironically, he actually does a lot of anti analytical things like not going for it on fourth down and a bunch of other stuff, but we don't talk about that. Uh, But yes, I would say that there are, there are folks that are in Seahawks Twitter that might be bigger fans of Sean McVay than Rams fans. (laughs) how do, how do you feel about that, Dana?
3: You're absolutely right. And that was surprising to me. You know, th- last season, I didn't notice it as much. This season, <laughs> especially in our chat, it was like, the hell? Oh, this is just about hating Pete Carroll. Okay, I get it. This has nothing to do with logic, has nothing to do, although they would argue that it's logical. But yeah, it's It's very interesting to me that, <laughs> that, that there are those people out there who are, seem obsessed with a rival's coach. It's like so. I I, I just don't get because really Sean McVay and Pete Carroll. Yeah, he's offensive coach, but they do a lot of things like, <laughs> too. So I I find it really interesting. I I learned today though that some of these people were like, oh Sean Payton to Seattle. I'm like, why? So you can hate him too? Like it makes no
0: sense to me at all. So it's like, I'm just gonna well, you know, and you
1: there. and I are defensive. We are. Yeah. there's a lot of folks that are offensive fans so Sean Payton would fit in that offensive side and and anything that could potentially unlock Russell Wilson is is obviously a, a sought after but let's talk about the division weekend obviously everyone's been talking about it so we might as well do the same and share our takeaways uh you know all the games were close I would not say all of them were good games but they were all close uh yeah I mean uh, Dana, let's start with you. Like what what was, you know, the 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 big games that stuck out to you? Um, you know, did you watch them all?
3: Um, I did I didn't get to watch all of every one of them, but I watched a chunk of at least, and then I watched both Sunday games. Um, I think um what was so striking to me was how defense-minded the first one was and how offensive the 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 on Sunday was. Like they were split down the middle. Um I was um, not really surprised at how San Francisco played, which wasn't well. I mean, we gave them credit. They won the game, but they didn't play well. But how lackadaisical and no energy and how blase the Packers played. I was floored by that. I couldn't believe what I was watching. It was like that team just did not care, um, which is not traditional for Green Bay. That really surprised me. Um, I loved the Bengals-Titans game. I love the Bengals team. They're just young and fun and energetic, and I just really enjoy watching that team. Um, The Sunday games were not my cup of tea. I don't like down the field score, down the field score. You know, that's just not how I, I like my football and the complete lack of defense that there were, especially at the end of the chiefs bills game was a little surprising to me, but, um, but I enjoyed it still. I just, I liked that. It was, it was fun to watch. So I enjoyed this weekend. I, I wasn't mad at all that the Rams and the Niners are in that championship, which I know pissed a lot of people off, but I just love how strong this division is. So.
1: Jeff, what were the results that most upset you, like that you were cheering against that uh, that ended up happening anyway?
2: Um, I'd say, conversely, the uh, the Rams result upset me because of what happened Saturday. If the Packers had won, I would have been much less upset had the Rams won because I believe the Packers would have been comfortably anyway just the notion of a Rams 49ers NFC championship game. is just like such a gut punch to the Seahawks. And those teams are, yeah, they're pretty That one. Bill's chiefs. I was really rooting for the bills. Um, for those who don't know, I used to cover the bills at the beginning of the decade. They're our local team essentially in Toronto. So I, a lot of my football contacts came from that organization, but they were a remarkably different organization. When I covered them, they were essentially well, like the giants for last year, they were a total nightmare. So seeing them, and I got to know their fans, and I know, like, if you turn on sports radio in Toronto, you can get a Buffalo radio station. So hearing that the next day was just crushing. They were so depressed. So I'd say the Rams won just because I don't know, often cheer for Tom Brady, but I did not want a Rams Forty Nine ers NFC Championship game. But yeah, it was it was an interesting weekend. There was a lot of things that I took away from it. I'm sure you'll ask me about this after, but
3: yeah, we've
2: talked about and. A lot of like the narrative around the Seahawks, I just think is so wrong and so misleading. And I wrote about one of my tweets the other day, just, I'm not, this is a different question of what you asked, but if you watch those other than the last game, which was just an incredible quarterback display, every team that essentially won on Saturday and Sunday, and some of the teams that lost even, even Green Bay, and, 10, you saw great defensive line play in every single game. And something that like Brian talks about a lot and, something I've learned a lot about. You saw players, blue chip players in every single game take over the game. Every single game. Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Josh Allen, uh, Jeffrey Simmons, Javar Chase. Every single game. Uh, Bosa and Armstead, Rashawn Gary. Every, so if you, oh, there's all this talk about maximizing Russell Wilson and passing and all this stuff around the Seahawks. But the conversation is, who on the Seahawks are blue chip players like we've had for five years, Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams, the guys who Frank Clark to an extent, but who are the guys that have been on Seahawks that can take over a playoff game? We spent all this time beating on like Pete's game management and all this stuff, but time and time again, that's what wins these rounds. I and mean, the Seahawks were good. They had game wreckers Earl and Cam and Sherm cliff and Mike B. Those guys were game records As much as we love Bobby, he's a, he's a, Linebacker, They don't tend to take over games.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I let you go. Cause you're, you're uh, spinning a web there that, that uh, was, was making a lot of sense to me. And as you were talking, I mean, one of my questions to both of you is, I mean, is there a chance that the coaching staff's actually being close to maximizing this roster for the last few years where the the storyline has generally been that the coaching staff's been underperforming relative to the talent on the roster um, and most of that revolves around hey we have a franchise quarterback we should have won more playoff games <clears throat> kind of when you're you're going through it Jeff and you're talking about it there is you know, Aaron Rodgers has proven time and again he is a he is a superior quarterback to Russell Wilson. He has been for his career. Um, that guy's lost in the playoffs a lot. and he's had, and even in this year, he had a pretty good team around him. And last year he had a pretty good team around him. And <clears throat> he's not even getting to the Super Bowl. And this year he didn't even win a playoff game. So, you know, I compare that to some of the rosters that the Seahawks have had, and to your point, other than Russell Wilson, who has been the true blue chip players on this roster in the last five years that could take over a playoff game. I don't put Bobby in that category, at least in the last three years. Like, I think he is a I know he's an, an all pro this year. I know he led this, the, the league in tackles. It's just different. Like, I, I don't. I have not seen him take over games to where teams are having to like they change their game plans because Bobby Wagner is wrecking their their plan. Um, so I don't know, Dana. You know if, if what is, what's your thought? Is is there a chance that 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 this is what we've been getting is actually the most out of this talent, and that we've been thinking about this the wrong way?
3: Um, I I don't really know that we can make that decision. To be honest with you with the information that's in front of us. So we, we had a change in offensive coordinator. So we, we don't know if he can maximize the talent because his quarterback was then injured and he's, you know, five years old. So he's new, you know, he's really super young and we got to let him kind of um, mold in. And then we've been lamenting Ken Norton Jr. for years. And so do we know if he can use jamal adams and some of the these new younger guys properly um so that does go back to coaching to a certain extent but your question is valid and, and jeff's point is really valid and you know we complain about the drafting and the people that we're getting uh, uh we think these people can be very good but can they do we know what their ceiling is i don't think until you get uh, I would not call Ken Norton Jr. a consistent coach just from the up and down the defense has every year. So I think until you get some consistency out of that, we're not going to know to what level these guys can play on the defense. And in the offense, I'm willing to give Shane, I'm still not a fan, but I'm willing to give him one more year to see how he uses players. I would level, I would, I would would label Tyler Lockett probably as blue chip um, because he does some fantastic things. But then once again, then you're relying on your quarterback and that quarterback play. So They kind of go hand in hand, but in some of the other big positions, like I know Nathan would cringe, but like running back, like Derek Henry is for the Titans or some of those. No, that that talent level just hasn't quite been there. But again, I say that with the caveat that on defense, I think we have to see what a new coordinator does with these younger guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jeff, I think DK Metcalf has all the profiles as a blue chip player. He has not been that, but you and I talk about this a little bit off, off the air, but agree Dana Tyler Lockett from a performance perspective belongs in the conversation. I've just seen Tyler Lockett get taken away too often and Tyler Lockett physically isn't so fast or so strong or so, you know, such an amazing route runner, like a, you know, Stefan Diggs although he got taken away um, that I don't know that Todd lock, it's a guy I could count as a playoff blue chip player. That would be a guy that they couldn't stop. Um, that it might be harsh, but that's kind of, that's kind of where I, I struggle a little bit. DK Metcalf, if he plays to his capability and if he's utilized, right. There shouldn't be anybody that can stop him. Like he should be that he should be Devonte Adams level dominant or close to it or, or or one of those guys. I don't think there's many others. I mean, Jeff, what, what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, at no, least the last playoff win the Seahawks had was the game in Philadelphia. If you remember, DK Metcalf was the best player on the field that game. So, but I I see Tyler Walker as a guy who could like made a game-breaking play, and we've seen, but I don't think he's a guy like when we get to this point in the season, the divisional round, where he's like a Jamar Chase or an A.J. Brown. He's just not that physically, or can run like Tyree Hill, and that's nothing against Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett's a great player. There's just a different level of blue chip we're talking about. It's just what I call game records. I don't think Tyler Lockett is that, and frankly, I don't think the Seahawks have one on defense. Jamal Adams was supposed to be. That's why they traded the compensation, and like Dana said, with a new coach, maybe he becomes that. But what I mean by game wreckers is someone who can really wreck an opposing game plan. We saw the best, the most, most blue-chip player that Seahawks have had really in the last five years was Clowney. And we saw it. he never reached that potential and really hasn't anywhere. But that one game in San Francisco mm-hmm. against a far superior 49ers team, that's the kind of performance I'm referring to, where a guy can just blow up a far superior team. And Clowney did that. That team until 2019 was not close to the Niners in town. And you look at some of these teams that are playing deep in the playoff. You look and saw what Von Miller did to pair with Donald this weekend. And that left tackle in Tampa just couldn't block Von Miller. And Tom Brady, I've never seen it. He was just falling over and taking sacks. And Von Miller looked like 20-whatever. They won the Super Bowl, Von Miller. So there's just a different level of play that the Seahawks, frankly, just don't have. Like, 2020, that defensive line they were rolling out in the playoffs was some good death, but there's no guy. like We're talking pro-bowl, all pro-level. I I don't think it's close.
1: Yeah, that's a great call-out on that Clowney game. That's a a perfect example of the type of performance we're talking about. And it actually reminds me that there is someone else who I think fits in that category or, or can fit in that category. And I'll just to start by saying part of the characteristic here is someone that is so dominant and dominance a really important part of the word, you know, to, to use there, that the opposing team has to adjust what they're doing to account for that player. And it changes what they were already planning to do. They're based, they're literally wrecking the game plan, right? They're, they're so dominant that they're having to adjust to that dominance. Well, Jamal Adams hasn't been that for the Seahawks, but he certainly was acquired to be that. And last year he had nine and a half sacks and everyone keeps talking about that. Like, why didn't he have nine sacks this year or six? I don't think Jamal Adams is going to be a nine and a half sack guy. And that was a very extreme season. But the point I'm making here is that we heard Pete Carroll talk about in the press after this season, Hey, why isn't he, why didn't he get rushed more? And he said, well, because they would just shift protection to that side. So he was just running into you know too many blockers you couldn't do anything about. That actually is an indication that he is potentially a blue chip kind of player. If you command that kind of attention from the opposition, that gives you opportunity. It should free up other players to do other things. It should allow you to do interesting things with him that does cause the offense concern. And so I think we get so much wrapped around like what was spent to get him and why he's not the perfect safety and whether he's a linebacker. I don't give a shit about any of that. He is an excellent football player. Like he is, he is a, his ceiling is a blue chip football player. And so that's, that's frustrating. That's the part that's frustrating is we're not getting that. And I think that's where, you know, we've talked about the defensive coordinators coming in here, they have to tap into that because he is one of the guys on the roster that could be that kind of player in the, in the playoffs. Um, So I want to spend a few minutes talking about like other takeaways we had, what, what we thought we saw in games this weekend that have implications for where the Seahawks need to go. And where there's gaps between where these teams are and where the Seahawks are, and and Jeff, I want to start with you because I know you know you've been thinking about this a lot, and there's a few things that really stood out to you.
2: Um, I think it's it's funny. It's the things we talk about. It's just the trench play, and I think that's the biggest difference between where maybe San Francisco is, or maybe Cincinnati, Cincinnati was not a great example. They were awful on the offensive line, but. We talk about it every time all their money is invested in linebacker and safety and their offensive line and defensive line just doesn't have enough standout players. And there doesn't have enough high quality you know, pro bowl level players. And you look at San Francisco, we talk about quarterback play, quarterback play all the time. They won a game this week against Aaron Rodgers where they didn't have an offensive touchdown. So I think just, you t- we can talk about how Russell Wilson's being wasted and all this around Last three years, he hasn't won. I think it takes so much more than that to be successful in the playoffs. I think you have to be a complete team. Like, sure, everyone's going to watch that Bills-Chiefs game and want an offense that looks like that. But I think those guys are at such a higher level. Colin Coward did a great rant about just, like, the next level of quarterback. I don't think Russell even is in those that close to those guys' categories right now. That's no offense to Russell. That's not a shot. I just think that's reality. But really, it's just becoming a well-rounded, complete team that's built to play in the playoffs and I think that's having what we saw at the end of the year on offense a balanced offense that could go down the field and but really we need to see better trench play or else I think if the Seahawks are just going to be set up for the same thing and you look at San Francisco they're a great example they don't have a passing game at all but they just beat Green Bay and Dallas they win the get line of scrimmage and we talk about that time and time again but that's that's where all my Seahawks focus is right now until they fix that line of scrimmage. It's going to be the same thing over and
1: over and over. Yeah. Dana, how about you?
3: Yeah, I I think that that's a really good point because we saw what happened to in the Tampa Bay game when Tom Brady lost a couple of his linemen to injury. I mean, he was Tom Brady was on his can left and right now. Granted, he was playing the Rams and we have to be a little bit careful when Mm -hmm. we say we're looking for a Von Miller, we're looking for an Aaron Donald everyone is they're generational players, right? Like we, 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 they're not, those are, you know, not a dime a dozen. We're not gonna be able to go pick those up. So you have to be careful with the comparisons, but at the same time, the beauty of what the Rams have done is they put them both on the same line. I'm so jealous. I can't even see straight, right? So that's really good. But we see how important that depth then becomes. And I, I, I think we've, I've said this many times on here, the beauty of the Seahawks Super Bowl teams is how deep that team was. And they could absorb those injuries and they could deal with that. And I think that that is a huge part of what we're seeing in a lot of these teams that are playing in the playoffs. Yes, everyone talks about the Chiefs Bills game and that crazy explosive offense, but what about the complete and total lack of defense? If if someone had stepped up, it would have been a totally different game and 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 even for just a play here and there. And and so it was really fun to watch, but if either one of those teams, you know, the Bills had a great defense, what happened? Well, they ran into the perfect offense, you know. And so it was just you have to have um balance without question and be able to manage those but I think really important for Seattle too is depth of quality players now they don't all have to be you know the blue chips they don't all have to be but they just have to be that depth of quality so that when you have those injuries you're not looking at what exactly what happened to Tom Brady this weekend
1: yeah I agree with that And, and I guess the way I looked at it, I agree with everything you both said I do think that there's credence to the quarterback argument, but I think it gets oversimplified. If you need a franchise quarterback and you need to build an offense around them and you need to be an offensive, offense first team. I actually don't think that's the case. I think franchise quarterbacks certainly help, but there are a special few that are MVP level that are potentially the cream of the cream of the crop. Mm -hmm. And If you have someone like Patrick Mahomes, then yeah, you could probably be deficient in some other places, like, and still maybe win it all. He's that good. He's that, like, he's not a blue chip. He's like a platinum chip, right? And I I was talking with someone on Twitter about this. I'm like, I don't think it's insulting to Russell Wilson to say that he's, that Patrick Mahomes is a lot better than Russell Wilson. I see it almost as like saying, you know, compare it like it's almost Russ's to Steve Largent as Patrick Mahomes to Jerry Rice, right? Like Hall of Fame receivers in their time, both great players. But I don't think anybody would say Steve Largent was as good as Jerry Rice or they shouldn't. (laughs) They're both great Seahawks, I should say. We at least know that about Jerry Rice and and Steve Largent. But um, in any event, you know, I think where we – where the other the other takeaway I had for this this weekend was I think the NFC is receding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Aaron Rodgers, I was never impressed with Packers. I've been clear on that you know, on this podcast. Like I thought they were a weak number one seed to begin with. It didn't totally intimidate me. Their offense has not been great. Um and then The other is Tom Brady. Like you could have Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers both walk away after this year. And if not walk away, you could have Aaron Rodgers go to the AFC. Yeah. If that happens, what team like the Rams are probably the most, they, they, they already are the most talented team in terms of they have, you know, the best receiver and the best defensive lineman and the best pass rush and the best offensive line and on and on and on but they're going to lose some guys in free agency. So I, I don't know. That was my big takeaway is like, I don't think that the Seahawks should have beat the Packers. They should have beat the Titans who were other number one seed in the AFC. Uh, They did beat the 49ers twice and it wasn't fluky. Although Debo didn't play in one of those games. And I think they had every reason to potentially beat the Rams. Like they were ahead in those games. So I don't know. I feel like there is there's a window where the Seahawks can get back into this. And I feel that way more now than I did before.
2: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I got like sort of like a shot in the arm this week. I think me mean you were talking about it off air. And then we I kind of went to our thread and then some people in our thread were not thrilled with our opinions. But also, I don't know if you mentioned the Sean Payton leaving. is that, That's another big one where I don't know what the Saints long-term outlook was quite good, but he's just had that team run, running for years. But yeah, I think really, you look at the conference as a whole, it's pretty weak right now. There's not a lot, all the young quarterbacks, and this is the point I made, all the young quarterbacks and all really the, the star quarterbacks, and Dana made this point to us that cyclical. Like when we were in 2013, you had Brees and Rogers, and then you got Brady. Now you have Burrow, Mahomes, Allen, Herbert, Mar Jackson, all in one conference. Who are the young quarterbacks in the NFC? It's Justin Fields and with Dak, who's sort of Dak's talking about teams who haven't won a playoff game. Dak hasn't won a lot of playoff games. Uh Stafford, Trey Lance. Not much there. It's mm-hmm. so really with the Seahawks with Russ and I, I it's sort of the shot in the arm. There's there's the division's still going to be crazy hard. But the conference is so if, if Brady and Rogers leave, and they're gonna both leave in the next two years, regardless. They're just Russ might be the best quarterback in the conference. So there is tons of opportunity for the Seahawks. If they they almost have like a two year window right, right now. That's what they have. Russ left for, but probably Pete and John probably won't be here much longer than that. I really hope they take advantage of this because they they've not seen a conference this week from top to bottom in the. Pretty much maybe since 2016, like a year like that where they won with a crappy team. It's wide open.
1: D- Dana, <laughs> there are folks, there are folks in the chat, like at least a few, they're like, come on, you couldn't have watched those games this weekend and think the Seahawks are anywhere close to those teams. Um, I think of the Chiefs Bills they that's different we're not yes i think those teams <laughs> the bills had the best defense in the nfl and maybe the best one of the best offenses yeah. right and if that game was in buffalo if they hadn't had that that crazy game against new england at home where they ran like three pass plays the whole time like they might have been hosting and who knows but nfc Mm-hmm. NFC is one, you only have to win the NFC to get to the Super Bowl, right? And then who knows what happens? So it's all luck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do, you, do you see a huge gap between the Seahawks and the, the NFC teams?
3: Well, this is where I get in trouble sometimes because this is when I come to defend the NFC West as the best division in football. And then I get all these, not a lot, there's a small handful of people that are like, you cannot like the other teams in their, our division. Actually, I can like them for what they do for the division. I love this division. And one of the best things about this division is they have to play each other and they're all so good. I said, iron sharpens iron. This guy ripped me apart, but here's the thing. Oh, he did. He was like, that is, I was not a true fan. I, I got the true fan line. I got that. Oh, was, gosh. But gosh. yeah. Gosh. So, but the thing of it is, is that the reason why Seattle does have a pretty I don't want to say strong foothold, but is still in the mix, is because of who they have to play. And yes, this season was terrible. None of us are saying it wasn't, but with proper use of the talent that they have and with Russ's talent for the Russ haters out there, they're not going to like that. You are in the NFC still completely in the mix and you're only better because of the division you play in. I truly, truly believe that. You look at some of these other teams when they play each other in these other divisions and they play down to their opponents. Like they will, you know, the, how many people did the Texans beat this year? It's like why they shouldn't have beaten anybody, but these teams get lucky, get a little, I don't want to say lazy. That's, that's a bad word, but they just get a little laxadaisical. I will tell you in the NFC West, you do not have that luxury. And that is the nice thing about this division is that they have to play strong all the time. So I think that plus all the things that you guys said is the reason why we can still think of the Seahawks as being in the mix in the NFC.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think any of us feel like, oh, the Seahawks can just run back what they had last year
0: <laughs>
1: and they're right in it. I do think they could run back what they had last year and make the playoffs. I do believe that. I do believe that. I don't believe that's enough to actually truly contend um, and make make waves in the playoffs. So let's talk a little bit about some of the moves that the teams can make and the priorities kind of based off of where we see those deficits. But before we do that, let's take some patron questions. If you haven't already, Uh, please sign up over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Get automatic access to the Slack channel where we will not only have conversations with the whole community, there's hundreds of members. There's almost over 300 people in there at this point. And uh, you also get to ask us questions and we try to answer them every week. Some of these are free agent related. And so we'll we'll kind of mix those in. Um, First things first, Jeff, um, let's go with you first uh do you think this comes from tom Frieden? do you think the hawks should add more wide receiver depth a guy like braxton Berrios is intriguing because he could be a wide receiver three or four and also return specialist or do you address this in the later rounds of the draft
2: Uh, i know we're going to talk about this in a little bit but there are a lot of priorities right now with this team i think wide receiver depth is going to be very very low i think they have to deal with sort of that's sort of like, they're they like a car with a really good, like it's flashy, it's nice, but they don't have a great engine. They're like a luxury car with a bad engine. That's how I would describe the Seahawks roster. So receiver depth, Braxton Berrios, and I talked about this last year when I watched the 2020 Seahawks, I thought the team really lacked a guy who can just get open quickly, sort of like what Doug was and what Bobby Ingram was back when day. Cole Beasley, I thought was like the kind of player, not my favorite personality these days, but. Similar style receiver that can just get open quickly. Engram was what he did for Hasselbeck. Barrios would be a great fit, but if Russell just needs a guy to win on third, they don't have a lot of those guys. So, yeah, but I think there's so many other needs. That is such a low priority for me, and I don't want to spend a lot of significant capital. I, the draft is the way to go there.
1: All right. Uh, Dana, this one's for you. It comes from Danny McCormick. What does Sean Payton leaving the Saints mean for the Seahawks? Say Seattle has a similar season to this last one, and does this not seem like a perfect situation for Payton?
3: It depends on what he wants. I mean, I don't think any of us really knows what he wants. I don't think he's interested in rebuilding from the ground up on a team. but You never know. I mean, that's really exciting for some coaches that they want to go in with a brand-new baby quarterback and start from scratch. Um, but if he's looking for something, you know, or a team that, that has – a lot of pieces already in place. It just needs to be tweaked. Then yeah, Seattle might be great. I I have from the rumblings that I've heard, you know, he and Jerry Jones are pretty good friends and that Cowboys think they already have him locked up. So I will see kind of how that goes, but, but I could see where maybe he would be interested if that's the path that he's looking for. It, it just kind of depends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely will be a popular choice. I think. Yeah. Jeff and Others <laughs> have talked about, um, Mike McCarthy better play well, have a good season next year, uh, because Dallas is an obvious place for for Peyton to end up. Um, All right, I will take this one uh, from Dace Sanderson, and he asks, um, are there any positions of need, assume no signings of pending Seahawks free agents, that you think should be exclusively addressed through the draft rather than free agency? I do, so uh, we'll talk about this in a moment, but... I absolutely believe they need to cut Jason Myers and get $4 million back. And I only want them to address that through the draft. There's actually some good kickers in the draft. And um, we saw Evan McPherson, like, there's nothing wrong with drafting a kicker and going young. Um, don't use a first, second, third on it, but I'm okay with a fifth, you know, or a seventh on a on a kicker. That's fine. And um, have a competition. So that's one. Linebackers, the other one where I, I generally – Really, I'm hesitant to sign any free agents. Um, I think that that's a position very similar to running back where you're best off the younger years and they also can have impact very quickly, so it doesn't take a lot. Unlike you know, receiver or um, you know, edge rusher that takes a few years to really develop for the most part, linebackers usually come in and if they're going to be good, they're good right away. Um, you know, we saw pretty good game from the the chiefs rookie linebacker second round pick um this weekend so as one example all right uh jeff back to you this is from braxton would you cut bobby right this second if you were guaranteed to get chandler jones or von miller sorry bobby but yes
2: (laughs) not even not even close uh i just i talked about my philosophy in building a team i want my money invested in the lines of scrimmage I think this team is one like, type A pass rusher away from really taking a jump because if you put like a Jones and a Miller with Daryl Taylor and a Dunlop as your third rusher, that can completely change the fortunes of the defensive line. I think Bobby is a great leader, a great player, and he might want to go to a different team. He might want to play somewhere else. And I don't want to have that $16 million and just redirect it into the defensive line to me would be a no-brainer.
1: Okay. Dana, this comes from Corey. If we re-sign Rashad Penny, do we also bring back Adrian Peterson as a third, 4 string running back and personal coach?
3: (laughs) I don't know if Adrian Peterson would want to do that or not. I think that he, he might, he seemed to really like it here. Um, I I think that Adrian Peterson will be a fantastic, right? I mean, he kind of proved that he's such a good leader. And so if he would do it and wants to come back so he can be, Personal motivator for first shot, Penny, I'd be fine with it. Um, but I I I just don't know that that's what he would want to do.
1: Okay. Uh Sam Brown asks, I'll take this one. Do you think we're set at cornerback with DJ Reed and Sidney Jones, or do we need to add more to that group? How much of an impact do you see Trey Brown making in his return? So yeah, I, I think that if they sign DJ Reed and Sydney Jones, they are set at edge corner for sure. And then I think Trey Brown has the potential to slide inside and be your nickel cornerback. And I think that could be a fantastic trio. But the it would be a luxury there because you're not depending on Trey Brown to do that. You have other options as well. So um we'll see. I think Sydney Jones price is a is a big open question mark. The the demand for DJ Reed is as well. It's a pretty strong free agent class for cornerbacks. And so, you know, I don't know if DJ Reed will be the top guy, but they're both 25 years old and that always draws attention. So, you know, yeah, we'll see. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, All right, we'll take a couple more and then we're going to go deep into the free agency stuff. Uh, Jeff. Jen Mazzarallo, Mazzarallo, sorry if I'm mispronouncing, uh, asked, should we resign Dwayne Brown and Quandre Diggs? Uh, This is going to
2: be a very interesting discussion in our next segment. Uh, I think Dwayne Brown's part of an equation where if you put a lot of money in the defensive line and you might need to a little less for the left tackle, I think that's a great opportunity. I, I do, I'm going to say this now, I think Russell will be back. So I think Dwayne Brown is much more as an option as we would have. Quandre, I I think, comes down to price. I said in the last week's show, I predicted him to leave. I think he might have played his way out of Seattle. And Jim Caldwell might get a good coaching job. And he he has a great affinity for Diggs. And Diggs always talks on Twitter. So I know some people, I think Sam Gold or someone was, was saying that Washington could be a fit for Diggs. So. I think it's going to be tough to sign him. I think he's going to be really expensive and that's just so much money at one position. So
1: I'll say they sign one of the two. Okay. Dana, um, this is another question from Dace. Uh, assuming the team can only manage to afford one superstar in the trenches next season, would you prefer to sign an upgraded tackle like Teron Armstead uh, on the offensive line or a star on the defensive line like Chandler Jones or Von Miller Uh you know, somewhere along those lines?
3: Well, I know what your answer would be, Brian. <laughs> I'm
1: glad you I think,
3: do. I, 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 think, I think I know what your answer would be. I'm, I, I'm a defensive girl. I think the defense is where, you know, you end up actually winning games. And so I think that that would be my priority. Um, but then, it you know, it kind of comes down to whether or not, you know, what what the scheme is going to be for next year. But yeah, I would go defense.
1: Okay. This is a question for both of you. This comes from Will L., if you could get the fifth pick in this year's draft and the seventh pick in this year's draft from the Giants, plus a first next year for Russell Wilson, and the picks this year guaranteed you Thibodeau and Linderbaum, would you pull the trigger? So defensive lineman. I don't know if I know Linderbaum. I'm, I'm gonna admit I am going think that. he's the top center in the draft. Okay. Uh, me, no way. Dana. Uh,
3: absolutely yeah. not. It's
1: a no, for me too. Um, not, not as things are right now. So um, I know there's some other questions. Uh, we'll try to talk about some of those as we go along. Uh, Thank you guys for for your questions. Again, Patreon.com/slash/HawkBlogger gets you right in. It's gonna be a very active offseason. A lot of conversation. A lot hot stove leagues. So perfect time to join. And, and the profits go to a great cause. So. Uh, also, give the show a like if you haven't already. Come on, folks. We really appreciate it. Subscribe and click the little bell to get notified when we go live. Now, let's talk free agency and the, 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 the closing part of this show. And I want to start by asking you both generally. Um, I'll start with you, Jeff. If you had everyone from last year on the roster. okay. What is the one thing that you feel like you need to go and get different players? What part of the team needs different players the most than what we had on the roster last year? I'd say edge pass rusher. And we saw a lot of
2: the, I know we've seen Brian, and some other people tweet out some of their more deep numbers from last year. And it just wasn't very good. And frankly, they haven't they've been switching like their top pass rusher almost every year from Clark to Clowney to Mayo and Irvin to Dunlap. And they still need that one, a guy. And I said it before you talk about the teams that are succeeding in the playoffs. They all have that. And Dunlap's going to be a year older. They saw they had to really reduce his numbers and they have Daryl Taylor on one side, who looks like a great player, but they just need that next level guy. And I don't even know who would be on their roster to be that, now, Alta Robinson just doesn't see a raise. Dunlap is a rotational player at best. He's not that type of 1A pass rusher. I think that's what they need to just return this. We saw what Ben and Averill did years ago. When he paired him with Clemens, it changed their whole outlook. And that's sort of where their line was in 2012. I think that's a great comparison to where this line is now.
1: Do you do you agree, Dana, or is there a different part of the roster you feel like needed a bigger upgrade?
3: No, that I do, I don't think. I mean, there are, there are definitely other priorities that you know have to be looked at. I, I think that center is important. I think that and you know there's definitely other places. But the, the thing of it is, is with this defensive line that drove me crazy this year. Was it wasn't scary. That let line didn't scare anybody. Like nobody was worried about going up against Seattle. And they would just wiggle their way down the field. And then a lot of times they would have like a goal line stand, but they always got there was no fear there. And I missed that. I He said, Chris close. I'm like, Oh, my heart automatically is like, I just miss that type of football. But you guys have to remember, I, I'm, I love eighties Raider football. Like I like mean in the trenches, like knocking people down kind of football. It's my favorite kind the finesse. Uh, it's not my deal. So I, I really feel like within this, they have some good young guys, but they just need those guys that bring the fear on the edge. I think it's just so important.
1: Yeah. So we're all in agreement. And and this is the reason I asked, because I've been kind of, you know, mulling this over back and forth and I've been pretty consistent. I think offensive line should be the priority. And I think that you really build out a, a solid offensive line and a lot of things come together. I think we saw the impact of good line play on the offense in the last five games and what that meant for the overall team. Right. I think, if you have a, an offensive line that's clearing holes for a guy like Rashad Penny to be a featured back and be that, you know, not necessarily as productive, but, you know, top of the league level, top three league level productive, which I don't think is crazy. I know a lot of people are like, God, it's crazy. I don't think that's crazy. I think that the whole team can kind of start to fit together. But here's the thing. They were getting that with the guys they had. And I think that they can upgrade and will upgrade, but knowing that I feel like the defensive line is like, it, it, it's just clear as day that that's the thing that you just cannot run back. Like it's gotta be wildly different. So I think with that in mind um, let's talk about edge rushers who you're preferences are and why. And I'll list a few um, that were in the article. People haven't gone to hawkblogger.com. I wrote a free agency primer with top free agent options for the Seahawks at pretty much every position of need. Also go into the cap situation and, you know, why there's little less cap room than people realize, but where there's some players we can cut to gain some cap room back. So the guys I've got listed at Ed Rusher, Chandler Jones, um, his expected average uh, per year is 17 million, guaranteed 24 million. Von Miller, 17 million, same. He's expected 25 million guaranteed, so a little bit more. Caleb Jones is 31. Von Miller is 32. I put Zadarius Smith, who I think is a likely cut from the Packers based on their cap situation and depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers. Daniel Hunter is a possible, that's a, I would say less than 50% chance, but it's, probably a 30% chance. There is a real chance he would be a $15 million cap savings for them and the Vikings need space. Those are the four guys I see as alpha pass rushers. If you guys have someone else you'd add to that list, feel free. The other guys I have listed that are not alpha, Randy Gregory, Preston Smith, who I think will be potentially cut from the the Packers, Jerry Hughes from the Bills, Jason Pierre-Paul, Jadavian Clowney, and Hassan Reddick are some guys. Harold Landry is another name that would be out there. It's not a list. but So there, there's a lot of interesting pass rushers. So so Dana,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you get your pick. This is your top priority. You want one of these guys. Who is your number one target and why?
3: Isn't it funny? I thought Vaughn Miller was older than 32. For some reason, <laughs> I thought he was like 35. He always looks
1: older. Even when he came into the league, he looked like. Well,
3: him. I just, I know he's been around forever. Isn't that funny? So when you put Vaughn Miller on there, the first time I'm like, dude seriously for like a year but 32 is very intriguing to me because you could sign him for for a couple of years now the rams only have him for this year right yeah he's a free agent yeah Yeah. so yeah cannot
1: bring him back they're over the cap
3: oh my god so over the cap it's crazy um so i'm von miller to me is is very intriguing first of all the name recognition people would love that fans would would love that they would like him there um uh I would take any of your four. Let me your top four without question. But I think if I could pick one, it probably would be Miller um, just for his consistency level. I don't expect a huge drop off from him.
2: Jeff? Yeah, I'd say like even two weeks ago, I would have said Chandler Jones and he's still very high on my list. I think he does a great thing to take away a player from a guy who beats up Russell Wilson. He plays for a division rival. But watching Vaughn Miller the last couple of weeks where he's gone healthy He's just looked like I, we, I watched Chandler play the Rams last week, and I watched Miller play the Bucks, and their impact wasn't even comparable. Miller just was the best without Donald and Stafford and Cobb. Miller was the best player on the field, and he just looked to be at a different level than Chandler Jones, just in terms of like how he can use his hands and knock people over and just completely destroy the edge. And he t- like took apart a pretty good left tackle. Donovan Smith is like a borderline Pro Bowl player, so. He would be the number one guy for me, I think. And what makes it interesting, and Brian touched on this in the article, is that every player, every coach the Seahawks have been linked to comes from the Vic Fangio Denver Chicago tree, which Vaughn Miller apparently has a very good relationship already with Ed Donatel, and we don't know if Desai might be a possibility or whether Clint Hurt, but I think a lot of them could fit in Vaughn Miller very smoothly. Obviously, Chandler Jones would be great. Darius Smith would be great for what Dana was talking about, just like a physical. If you have him and Daryl Taylor on your edges, that would be a really powerful, strong line. But Von Miller for me—I don't know if you can prime out of LA, but he is number one by far.
1: Yeah, I think I think Miller and Jones do stand out, no doubt about it. I think it's—I could be swayed either way. I think Chandler Jones has taken over more games in the last few years than Von Miller has. Von Miller maybe just wasn't that as motivated because now that he sees the potential for a ring, he does seem like the Von Miller. He's got the same bend. He's he, I saw the same thing you saw, Jeff, he was dominant and he's a pretty good fit for what the Seahawks seem like they're trying to do. So I would not be sad to see Von Miller. I think Chandler Jones has been a game wrecker and uh, love to see him come. The other thing that people don't know about Von Miller and might not know is he's an excellent run defender. Um, Everyone knows about his pass rushing, but he's an amazing run defender. Um, so he just defeats blocks, regardless of who you send at him and for what purpose. The interesting thing with Z'Darrius Smith is he would be the closest thing to a Michael Bennett because he can be an edge rusher, but he can also rush inside. His sack that came this weekend um, against 49ers was from the inside. And so knowing that you've got a Dunlap and a Taylor, it could be interesting to have a guy that like Bennett used to do might rush from the edge on base downs and then slide inside on nickel. And you have your two speedy edge rushers on the other side. So like, that's, that's interesting. If, if he's a guy, he also has just had some injury issues. So, you know um, but I, I think you've got to get at least one of those guys, one of the, not just the top four that'd be ideal, but I think you've got to get a, you know, a clear edge pass rusher. Um, before I move off the edge list and talk about interior rushers more more specifically, are there any of those other guys that I mentioned? I'll go over them again. Uh, Randy Gregory, Preston Smith, Jerry Hughes, Jason Pierre-Paul, Jadavion Clowney, Hassan Reddick, or Harold Landry um, that are appealing to you guys, not as the only guy you get, but as potentially interesting options.
3: I can you can you tell me a little bit more about Reddick? I don't think I know a ton about him.
1: Yeah, so he used to be on the Cardinals and
3: mm-hmm. well, I know uh, his name, like, but I just don't know a lot about him. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he's a bit of an undersized uh, pass rusher. So he's not like he's not an every down kind of guy necessarily. and He has to fit the, a certain scheme. Yeah. Um, uh, but he has become a far more uh, productive pass rusher over the last uh, couple of years, and so, you know, he will—he's still pretty young. Um, I'm trying to look at his age. He has 27. Uh, but yeah, he had he had 11 sacks this year. He had 12 and a half sacks last year.
3: Yeah. Nice.
2: I'd say I'd say that yeah. I'd say the name for me out of that group would be Harold Landry. And if you remember back in the day, Brian, 2018, I remember I a mock draft for Hawk blogger. I gave the Seahawks Harold Landry and they did not listen. Landry <laughs> kind of reminds me of Cliff Averill. He was like a kind of an undersized guy, more of a speed rusher, took a bit to develop. And then the last couple of years, he's really taken off. So Avril's career. So where when he had fringed, see, there was a lot of people who were skeptical, whether, when he left, like, and and Sue, whether he could do it on his own. Landry is with Jeff Simmons, great name, uh, and Bud Dupree and a few of the other guys. So he's emerged the last two years. So he could be a pretty good guy where you're buying an ascending player for, like, a secondary price compared to the other guys. He would be my guy if you can't get a top tier because you're get, getting him at a good
1: age and he might not
2: cost the same as Devon or Shannon.
1: Yeah. I think Preston Smith is also really interesting. He might be pretty expensive as well, but um, you know he's he's been very productive for the Packers um, uh, of late. Uh, so let's let's talk about interior rushers. Um, so not quite the blue chip level that you have coming available for edge rushers, but there are some interesting names and. Um, You know, Akeem Hicks is someone on the bears, uh, expected about eight and a half million a year, 12 and a half million guaranteed. Grady Jarrett's a name I'm gonna throw out there. Uh, The Falcons are over the cap. Jarrett is on the last year of his deal. He's 29 years old and the Falcons would save 16 and a half million if they, if they moved him. I, I could see the Seahawks trying to make a deal to get the last year of Grady Jarrett. Um, So that's why I have him on that list. David Onyemata from the Saints, as everyone now knows, I was talking about an article the other day, but 74 million over the cap, they got to cut everybody. And they don't have like a $16 million guy to cut in the cap. Like they're kind of, I don't know how they're going to do it to be honest. They're They're going to have to trade guys, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, oh, by the way, there is one other edge guy that I did mention. I haven't put him in the list, but Cam Jordan so cam jordan doesn't he, he the way his contract works they would actually not gain much in cap space if they traded him before june 1st but they would save like 15 million in cap room if they traded him after june 1st i if i'm the seahawks i am 100 percent talking to them about cam jordan getting that contract like he's a dominant edge rusher um so i i'd put him right up there with with miller and 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 uh and the Jones. um I don't know if you guys agree with that, but that that's, I, I see him in that class.
3: Cam, Cam Jordan's one of my favorite players. So oh, I man. Love, yeah, love that. Yeah,
1: me too. That guy's him. a wrecker. Yeah, I love that guy. Um, interior rushers. Akeem Hicks, Grady Jarrett, David Onyemata, who I was just getting to, Saints. Interior rusher, young guy, still is 29. Um, and, uh, you know, he has been a very productive rusher for them. I think they're going to cut him. He would save them $4 million in the cap. Kaleas Campbell's an interesting name. Expected to get a one year deal around $8 million. DJ Jones from the 49ers, another young 27 year old, expected to get $9 million, maybe $15.5 million guaranteed. Then you can kind of put Sebastian Joseph Day in the similar category as DJ Jones, but he's had a little less proven, but he's expected to get more money $10 million, $17.5 million guaranteed. So there's Michael Pierce, who I think will get cut potentially from the Vikings, would save them some money, and Lynn Bell Joseph. They're more like, hefty run stuffing guys that have pass rush capability, but I wouldn't put them as like primary interior rushers. So that's a list. Uh, You know, Jeff, you talked about Von Miller and why that fit with the Fangio defense makes sense. You get Von Miller and Akeem Hicks, you kind of are getting the getting guys from the inside and the outside that have played in that kind of defense. Oh man, I'm so in on Akeem Hicks. Uh, From my understanding, Seahawks have been, fans
2: of him for a while he was a guy that was part of the russell wilson proposal from what i understand last year from the bears and even before when he went from new orleans to chicago i believe the seahawks were sniffing around him back in the day so even when you combine that with they're probably bringing in someone with the bears kind of defense i'm a huge fan of a key mix i think that would be a home run signing i think that should be their number one interior target i think he fits in a lot of ways he can be an interior he's that just blows up plays. And really, they, they have Puna Four who does that at times. Al Woods, we saw what he did this year. Hicks is just a better version of both of them. And I think if you can bring him and Miller in who, who've played in that Chicago scheme and the Fangio scheme and been successful, to me, that's a no-brainer move. He's a little older, which might bring down his price. Unfortunately, he was a little banged up this year, but when he plays, he's just a dominant force. And you saw at the times this year on a team that frankly wasn't that good. And he, you saw what he and Robert Quinn could do together this year. So I am
1: all in on the team. Mix. That would be for me, my dream interior signing. So, so. interesting, Dana. I, I, I went into this article when I was writing it with the same opinion as Jeff. Hicks has been kind of falling off a little bit. His performance hasn't been quite as good. Did have some injuries this year. I would not be sad at all. I'd be very excited if they sign him for all the reasons Jeff said. But the name that really jumped off the page for me was Grady Jarrett. This is a guy that's been an all-pro level interior lineman. He did have his worst season this year, but the Falcons were awful. Um, Sorry, I've got something in my eye. Um, He's 29, last year of his deal. This is a guy, if you can get someone like him and you pair him with someone on the edge – Now you're talking about a dominant, not just like an upgrade. You're talking about a problem for any team you're facing. So I am all in on having conversations on what would need to be traded. Now, people will say like, sure, I don't even think this is realistic, but Bobby Wagner and and Grady Jarrett switch teams probably not but you know there might be some options for trades there and the Seahawks have been known to make trades for defensive linemen over the years so that's the guy for me I don't know um there's a couple others that I'll call out but what about for you who are who are some of the names that stand out
3: you know I I was kind of with Jeff on the Akeem Hicks thing I think that that would be like such a good pickup um because I, I was thinking more of free agents. But yeah, I mean, Grady Jarrett wouldn't be terrible. Honestly, any of them is freaking better than what we have. I will say this: Calais Campbell is the biggest human I have ever seen in my entire life. I am not a small girl and I felt microscopic standing next to him. And, 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 so I, I love his size and I love his leadership. I don't love his age. I don't love the miles on his body, but he's still fantastic. He's still great. So I think I would prefer to go with one of those younger guys for sure. Um, but I was, I was kind of with Jeff and when I, we were talking about setting up for the show, I, that Hicks kind of would be my favorite, but he can't really go wrong. I mean, yeah, gotta be better. I mean,
1: I'm excited about a lot of these names, to be honest. I, I think Oyamata is a guy that I just think is a good rotational interior rusher. He is He's a handful, like he's just a whirling dervish in there. Um, I think DJ Jones is a guy who has at times been really explosive. Ask, <laughs> ask the Seahawks centers who keep getting canned by him. Um, uh, Sebastian Joseph Day is a guy that showed some really high upside but has not been able to stay on the field and it's hard to tell when you've got an Aaron Rodgers in there but I like Calais Campbell like as a if we're gonna have to make trade-offs this is a guy we know that Pete and John like the Malik McDowell pick was made because they were he reminded them of Calais Campbell and the idea of him being in the middle he will always at his size even at this age will command double teams and if, if, if you could have him and you had Yvonne Miller on the outside and you potentially still had Carlos Dunlap and Daryl Taylor, you still are given offenses a lot to think about. So uh, I think a lot of these guys are interesting and I don't think they're unrealistic um, for the Seahawks. Uh, it's just going to mean some trade-offs elsewhere. But we have so many, many weeks. <laughs> Many weeks to talk about all the other positions, which we will continue to do in future episodes. I want you both to call out your dream scenario right now for the edge and interior rushers. So, for people that were listening, I heard you talk about a few of them. But if you could close your eyes, thinking about cap room a little bit, you know, knowing they'll probably spend some elsewhere as well. What would get you the most excited about? the Seahawks walking out of here with Jeff, let's start with you. Uh, some combination I'll go with Ch- Chandler Jones
2: and Calais Campbell. I think that size and speed mixed with Daryl Taylor and what they have already, that would just completely just change the look of them and the speed of them. And could just open things up for Jamal Adams. To if you have Chandler Jones, Jamal Adams, and Calais Campbell rushing the passer. That's the blue chip we're talking about. So I know I mentioned Akeem Hicks, but Campbell might be a little cheaper, which can allow you to spend a little more on Chandler Jones. I like that
1: combination. This is such a great call. We didn't even mention coming back to Jamal Adams. These moves just amplify this guy. Like, how are they going to double Jamal Adams on blitzes when you've got a pass rush like that? Like, you can't. Um, you know, so that, that's something that a lot of these other teams don't have right they don't have a safety like jamal adams that can blitz the way he can blitz uh dana how about you i see this is this is a dana o'gorman episode we are talking about hitting quarterbacks and just massively destroying (laughs) offensives who do you want to hear the the seahawks are going after
3: well i have to tell you as i'm sitting here listening and jeff's like chandler jones and clays campbell and i'm like Ooh, that makes me offended. like I just get so excited. Like, I know, and last week Jeff re- was refusing to be excited about anything, so I'm so proud of him for getting a little excited this week. But I was just like, literally, makes me giddy. I, I can't even stand it. My mine probably would be Von Miller, I really like Von Miller. Um, <laughs> any of these interiors, I, I'll stick with Hicks because that's who I liked to begin with. Um, but I'd be perfectly fine with Clay Campbell on our team too just yeah. makes me happy just happy
1: yeah. I love it so yeah I, I mentioned for me I mean Von Miller and Grady Jarrett like <laughs> <laughs> I, I I mean that might sound like complete craziness Um, I don't think it is Um, and I think Grady Jarrett especially because you'd have to sign him to an extension I think that would be something they could fit in the cap I think I have to go back and look at all the the cap rules but the trading team would take on a lot of his contract, I believe. Um, not positive, but I'll have to look at that. So, uh, yeah, I I would just be all in on getting, if I only could have one, if I could only have one, Edge or Interior, I think I'd go back to Edge. And I think Von Miller would probably be the guy um, if I could only have one. But, man, this is the type of conversation we're going to have to have and that we hope that the Seahawks are gonna have. And I know there's a lot of folks that are super skeptical. The Seahawks don't do this. They don't spend in free agency. They don't go after day one guys. That's true, but it's also oversimplifying things. The Seahawks in 2012 came out of that season and said, we need to go after pass rush. They were very clear on it. They were public about it. They did the same thing this year. What did they do that year? Within the first wave of free agency, One of the top players available was Cliff Averill, and they signed him. And then they went back and double-dipped and got Michael Bennett for a better deal. I don't think they're going to get the same level of deal they got with either of those players. But I think it is realistic that this team and this front office will prioritize pass rush enough to get a day one or wave one rusher. And I think they will try to get two, one edge, one interior. I believe that's going to happen. And I've been skeptical about a lot of things that this team does. I'm more confident in them doing that than I am in them getting a great center. So we'll talk about that at another episode, but I do believe there's reason to be hopeful about that and something I'm really going to be looking forward to. Uh, Thank you to Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. And thank you to Jeff Simmons at Real Jeff Simmons for joining tonight and giving us uh, a nice bit of conversation about what's to come for the Seahawks. Tomorrow night, we will have Jake Heaps from 710 ESPN, and we will talk to him about nachos um, because there's some corrections that need to be made uh, based on what his co-host slandered uh, in in the last episode we had her on. So please be there. Evan Hill will join us, and who knows what Evan's going to ask or be asked. It could be humiliating for any number of people. Please give the show a like, if you haven't already, please head on over to subscribe to the channel. We're at like seven and love to get to 8,000 subscribers. Uh, it's one of our goals for the year. So appreciate that. Share the, the show if you haven't. And then uh, get us on Spotify, get us on Apple, iTunes, give us a review on Google Play, five-star reviews. We really appreciate it. Helps more people find the show and builds the community. So patreon.com slash hawk get instant access to the slack channel and we will see you all there and we'll see you all
2: tomorrow night